0: With all that's going on in the world of international trade today, it's getting harder and harder to plan for crazy. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Global trade has never been an especially stable affair, tied up as it is with shifting economic trends and struggles for supremacy between the big trading powers. But you can't deny that these are different times. The trade war between the United States and China, punishing tariffs, the uncertainty surrounding Brexit, tensions in the European Union, and doubts about the economic stability of so many countries, it all adds up to an environment that it wouldn't be an exaggeration to call crazy. So how do you plan for crazy? That's what I'm talking about today with Sue Welch, CEO of Bamboo Rose, who returns to the podcast to discuss how traders can weather these extraordinary times. It's getting tougher for companies to manage their costs in this uncertain time, but there are steps they can take to anticipate future trends and stay sane in a world that's become, well, decidedly crazy. So here is my conversation with Sue Welch. Sue Welch. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be back. Sue, are these different times in the world of international trade? Oh, God, yes.
1: (laughs) It's a very obviously chaotic, confusing time. It's hard to plan. That's why we keep saying you can't plan for crazy, and it's just crazy times right now.
0: Why? What's going on? I mean, to risk asking the obvious question, give me your view of just what's making things crazy right now.
1: Well, I think certainly the tariffs are the lead story on that as far as crazy. But it's not just the tariffs. It's just the lack of the ability to plan and anticipate because it's chaotic. It's kind of spur of the moment or based on a tweet coming out. And that's really difficult for businesses to keep, turning around and turning around and, and having to readjust their plans as far as where they're going to source things, what the price of the products are going to be, what the landed cost will be, how do they readdress some of their products to either avert or reduce the impact of the tariffs. So all of this is just causing a lot of chaos in international trade. And it isn't just limited to China. There are tariffs in other countries coming out that are also causing problems for businesses in the U.S.
0: Would it be safe to say that the old methods of planning don't work anymore? They don't. They don't, simply
1: because you've got to be so responsive. In today's world, you can't respond fast enough if you're waiting for information to come into you, and then you've got to constantly notify your partners. I think a big part of Everybody's trying to get on the same page as quickly as possible. So when new information comes out, the different entities or different organizations being impacted by it can start making the right moves without waiting for somebody else to tell them what the impact could be.
0: So the question becomes, how do you plan for crazy? You don't just throw up your hands and say, well... I give up. Everything's unpredictable. We're not even going to try. On the other hand, you can't fall back on your old methods. So help guide us towards some new methods and some new strategies for just how companies can cope with this ever-changing trade landscape.
1: I think the first thing is you have to assume that it's not going to go away in the near term. And so your planning becomes, how do you look at your products? How do you look at your partners? How do you look at the organization's that you're dealing with in the countries they're producing the goods in. So it's a real detailed understanding of what your supply chain looks like. And so that's the first thing that you need to make sure that you have access to. And then as you do that and you start to work with your partners, some of our customers are doing things like mm-hmm. trying to move production out of China into other countries. Others are looking at how do I re-engineer this product so that, it doesn't get entered under one tariff versus another. I think the third thing that a lot of our customers are involved in is redesigning the product because they're all trying to offset cost. And so reengineering can offset some of the cost as far as the tariff what's being levied. But we see people re-engineering and redesigning the products. So we're looking at things like the components. If I substitute a different component, can I reduce the cost sufficiently so that I can still get the item at an attractive price and be able to sell it at an attractive price. But I think those three things we're definitely seeing people working on. I think the other thing is the cost is just looking for new suppliers, not just working with current suppliers to move production to other countries, but also desperate for finding new suppliers that are in the countries that don't have the tariff on them.
0: Just to be clear on the redesigning product idea, that is pretty much a cost play, right? I mean, that doesn't really answer the unpredictability of things. It simply helps to bring down costs that are caused by unpredictability. Would that be accurate to say?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh It's really just focusing and saying, if I can reduce the cost, then can I still get this at an attractive price? But I think that it it really is just focused on cost and and not on how do I... Change the situation because
0: you, you can't. So, when you're talking about changing or broadening your universe of suppliers, now you're talking about a question of keeping your options open. If something goes wrong in one particular sourcing part of the world, you can shift to another. Is it a question of a wholesale shift of manufacturing or diversification of one supplier base or diversification of raw materials? all of the above, which of those things do you think is going to have the most effectiveness in this scenario?
1: I think one of the big areas is the diversification of raw materials because sometimes you really can't move production. In China, there are certain skills that are not readily available in some of the other countries. So some of the other countries don't have the scale that China does. We tend to deal with multi-billion-dollar companies, so when they do an order, it can be for a million units. And so it's difficult to find suppliers that can take on that. So a big area of focus is the diversification of raw materials, because if I can't change the production because I don't have the skills set outside of China, then I've got to try to look at how do I reduce the cost of the components.
0: Isn't that a lesson that companies should have already learned, however, because of the recent string of natural disasters that shut down parts of the world as a sourcing option and then led companies to feel that they need like a plan B or plan C in the event of such things happening? Shouldn't they have already learned that lesson because of all these uh, typhoons and earthquakes and tsunamis and floods and things?
1: Well, you would think so, but I think they, they sometimes forget these painful areas. But I think the other things that they're looking at is not just the diversification of the source of the materials, but also how do I change the material components? So they're developing new materials, particularly we see this in, on the apparel side, where they're actually just developing new materials and they're using new resources. So instead of cotton, can I drive down costs and get some benefit from using hemp? So we're looking at not just where do I source it, but what it is that I'm sourcing in those raw
0: materials. Also in the world of unpredictability in recent years, we have a new element we need to consider, and that is corporate social responsibility. When you are sourcing... Raw materials, you've got to make sure that they're not coming from conflict areas, that they're not coming from places that use child labor, they're coming from factories that treat their workers fairly. That's more on companies' radar today than ever before, right? And, and and if so, how do you figure that into the equation?
1: Well, I think that's a big part of it, and that's one of the lessons learned from the past where people are looking and saying, I really have a responsibility to deal with the right suppliers And even at the component level, I need to be aware if I'm using metals that are coated with gold, what is the source of the gold? And so that has certainly weighed in to everything we're looking at as far as the lessons learned relative to components and diversification.
0: I'm interested in this question of agility, though, the ability to respond to change as quickly as possible. Because as we all know, when it comes to manufacturing complex products, you can't turn on a dime. You can't say, well, I'm shutting down China today and I'm opening up in Vietnam tomorrow. Not to mention you have these whole supplier campuses that surround these manufacturing facilities. So that suggests that companies, just by the nature of the way things work, do not have the ability to make quick changes. How do you offset that problem?
1: One of the things that we focus on is bringing in information simultaneously into the platform. So if you look at how the customers respond, whether they're retailers or suppliers, in a kind of linear environment, the new information comes in. Everybody scrambles to say, how is this going to be impact me? And then they further scramble to, to notify all of their suppliers or their component suppliers. And so one of the big things we see is that simultaneous taking in of information, coupled with things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, so more and more decisions can be made with using the technology so that people know exactly what's going to happen. Let me give you an example. If we get a new tariff and... I am sitting here and I'm a retailer, I'm doing my goods, here comes the new tariff, and I say, now I'm going to go find out the information, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell my suppliers. That can take anywhere from three days to a couple of weeks, depending on, on how they're being impacted. But instead, if my suppliers on my platform with me, if we're sharing technology, they know it at the same time I do then artificial intelligence and machine learning help us predict what should be done. So instead of the supplier waiting for the retailer to tell them about the problem and saying what they want to do, they know this retailer is going to, once they get through determining the impact, that this retailer is going to ask me to move production. So I know do that immediately. That gives a heads up and a competitive advantage because that retailer's the entire supply chain anticipates what needs to be done and starts to make moves rather than waiting for somebody to tell them about it and so when the next guy comes mm-hmm. up and he wants to move production to vietnam because as we know there's there's limited capacity there the first guy's already got it done because his entire supply chain knew and anticipated and knew the information simultaneously at the same time so they were able to move faster And we see that as a a big advantage Um, where people do, where companies are all on one platform that really helps them support the business environment.
0: But AI is in its early days, and machine learning, the very definition or the very term itself, indicates that the system needs to learn it needs to get a sense of past experience, just like people for that matter, uh, in order to react to the present, saying, well, this is, this is what happened last time. I know this happened last time, so we're going to act now in accordance with that. So isn't going to take a while for AI to get mature enough so that it has that whole body of knowledge of the past at its fingertips, uh, virtual, of course, uh, before it can make such decisions?
1: It would if you were starting from scratch. But if you've got everybody on a platform now, then all of that information exists. And then it's a matter of applying. So we selectively apply things like machine learning and AI to the information we see on the platform because everybody's on it. You've got your retailers, your suppliers, your inspection companies, your carriers, your freight porters, your banks, your component suppliers. Because everybody's there, You've got all the information that you now can start to apply the AI and machine learning to determine the patterns of behavior and when those patterns of behavior happen. And so that makes it a little bit easier. We're not looking and saying, we've got to start from scratch to build up all the data that we now can start to apply these new technology tools to. That data exists. It's now a matter of saying, what do we want to have happen first,
0: do you see any kind of a serious move toward reshoring back to the United States?
1: Not serious, but we do see it as far as being able to do things like testing product. We don't see it coming back, particularly in the retail environment, because you don't have the infrastructure, what you just alluded to. You don't have the campuses, and you don't have the infrastructure and the factories to produce these goods. But we do see things like a lot of our customers are now testing with new shoring. So they're saying, all right, I'm going to do limited quantities, and then based on those limited quantities, I'll commit to the greater quantity. And that the, the U.S. means that your environment can handle.
0: Just to get back real quickly for a moment to the question of cost. All of this definitely means some higher costs, and, of course, you're proposing strategies to help offset them. Will those strategies completely offset them, or are we inevitably having to pass on at least a portion of these higher costs to consumers, whether we like it or not?
1: We have to. If you listen to some of the customers that are trying to pass on all the costs to the suppliers, that's a dangerous slope also because a 15% tariff translates into anywhere from a 21% additional tax to the supplier because he's now paying the tariff that's based on the retailer's price as opposed to his. You have to pass on some costs. We're, We're not going to be able to push it back to the suppliers to the extent that some of the retailers are expecting to. Or you're going to have to expect that you're going to get a reduction in quality or delivery. Whatever it is, it's going to cause disruptions.
0: So finally... Is this going to actually change the way that companies plan? For instance, in terms of planning horizons, how far they look out, or how short those horizons need to be in order to respond? Do you see the traditional, like uh, sales and operations planning, rhythms changing, and companies moving more toward execution instead of planning in order to respond? Do you see a big change there? Yeah, I clearly they're
1: in a responsive execution mode right now because it's. Not a lot of planning that you can do, but they are are looking at this and saying, if this is another year, could be another five years of, of this type of chaos, we've got to start putting some alternatives in. So they are looking at alternative sources with the supplier's. They're moving production out of China to some of the other countries. But then I think the fear there is, say, hey, hey, could we have the same problem in some of these other countries if there's any political situation that's going to impact them? And all of a sudden we get tariffs in some of the countries we're moving to, and we're seeing some really signs of that. But I think they are planning more. They are taking more of a long-term perspective, and everybody's looking saying we just can't be that dependent upon China.
0: But long-term perspectives are more difficult to maintain if things are changing so quickly. I I was wondering if planning horizons are getting shorter because of that. But you're saying long-term planning actually still is in the mix?
1: Yeah, definitely long-term planning is still in the mix because we don't know when this is going to end. So you've got to have a plan that isn't just for the next year if it gets extended. But certainly short-term, everybody's trying to see if they react much quicker in the short term and really get mm-hmm. to that execution. So that they're saying, All right, we need to move, we need to move quickly, and here's how we'll execute versus here's how we're going to be planning.
0: Based on something you said almost at the very beginning of our conversation today, I'm thinking that you're suggesting that it would be a bad idea for companies to say, if I can only get through this short-term craziness, things are going to come back to normal eventually. Wrong thinking, in your opinion? Yes, because we don't know what normal is
1: anymore. When you return to normal, what happens? You've destroyed relationships. You've destroyed partnerships. You can't just return to normal. There's a new normal out there, and if you've got companies that you've been dealing with, and now you're moving production simply because you need to, when normal comes back, they might not be suppliers for you anymore. They might have found new customers in new countries, and that's clearly what we see happening. I don't think there's a normal to return back to.
0: So crazy becomes normal?
1: Crazy becomes normal. And then (laughs) hopefully it doesn't become normal. But the planning and the way you start to work with your supplier base and other countries, that is completely changed.
0: Okay, Sue Welch, thank you so much for helping us to understand how to plan for crazy in the world of international trade today. That's some very valuable advice. And, again, I welcome you back to the show. Thanks very much for being with us again.
1: Thank you, Bob. It was so nice talking to you again.
0: That was my conversation with Sue Welch of Bamboo Rose, talking about how companies can survive crazy times in the world of international trade. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts.